Hey everyone, welcome to season four of Seeking Witchcraft. Today's episode is going to be an introductory episode on chaos magic and to talk about this form of magic we have on Thumper Forge. So thanks so much Thumper for joining the show today and offering to come on to talk about chaos magic. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure, you're, uh, and you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. My name is Thumper Forge. I am a third degree Gardnerian high priest. I'm an initiate of the uh, Minoan Brotherhood. I am a practicing Discordian and a notary public. I always try to throw that in for some reason. And then I uh, have I've been working to uh, learn more about chaos magic and get kind of delve into that. And so I'm just here to share that with you. Great. Yeah. You know, I don't really know too much about chaos magic. Honestly, the only th experience that I've actually had with it is I've, I've heard two different things. One, I, I knew a girl whose husband was a chaos practitioner and he knew some of the local chaos mag uh, magicians in my area. And he used to say how they would all have these crazy sex, like sex magic orgies with each other. <laughs> and so that was my impression of chaos magic. And I'm like, all right, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to get involved in that. And then the other thing I had was somebody telling me like, well, chaos magic is you do whatever you want. So if you want to have you know, celebrate Yule in March, you can celebrate Yule in March. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so, so could you tell, could you tell me and listeners, because obviously I don't know anything about chaos magic. What exactly is this? Well, I, I will say um, from what you've described, like, like all paths are valid. So <laughs> true. <laughs> hey, yeah, you know, no shame, no shame. If you're into that, everybody's path is valid. I That's not my path. <laughs> But if, if that's what floats your boat, then that's what floats your boat. No shame here. We are not here to chaos shame. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so actually, to understand chaos magic, I think, first of all, we kind of need to define what chaos is, um, because it's sort of a, a word that, you know, fairly rich in terms of how people react to it. But chaos is, uh, at least from this perspective, is the potential and momentum behind all action. Um, if you think about like early Greek mythology, where chaos was the void that everything else kind of sprang out of. Um, that's how we're using the term chaos here. So chaos magic is um, ultimately action-based and it's results-driven. Um, so you're, you know, chaos, uh, chaos magicians or chaos witches are actively practicing magic and they're doing so, uh, they're working towards results and trying to get repeatable results. Okay, okay. Uh just so I can wrap my head around it a bit, would you be able to give like an example of something that a chaos magician might do if they're, you know, maybe doing a spell or something? Sure. Um, actually, I can, I will um, tell you my first experience with, I, I was kind of like you were at, at one point, I, I knew of it. I didn't know much about it. And uh, a friend of mine, my friend Chester called me one day and was like, Hey, do you want to help me with a working? And I was like, sure. Okay. And I knew that he had been Kind of exploring different things and he was getting really into chaos magic so i was you know just gonna go see what it was and an hour later i was lying naked on a massage table and there was this like middle eastern trance music playing in the background and i was wearing um led glasses that were pulsing patterns of light into my eyes okay and chester was doing <laughs> like energy work around me and leading me through breathing exercises where i was trying to do controlled breathing and I was, uh, we had come up with a sigil, like a magical design beforehand. So I was trying to like psychically visualize and charge the sigil. And it was this kind of insane amount of stimulation and all these things kind of that seemed very discordant, like things that you wouldn't really put together and say, hey, I'm practicing magic. 
Um, but it was a very successful ritual. So afterwards, I was just like, kind of borrow some books. Um, and that was my introduction to it. Chaos magic really does encourage a very diverse approach to magic. If something works, especially if it works for you individually, um, you're encouraged to use it. Um, and there's not really a set belief system in chaos magic. So um, a lot of times chaos magicians will explore different paths or different systems of magic to find things that are going to work for them or things they just want to experiment with. Um, like I recently tried a ritual where uh, I found this method of, of drawing pentagrams for a circle where they're drawn in spirals. And it was, I just was like, that sounds really cool. And I want to try it and see what happens. And that's sort of that chaos magic perspective versus, you know, there's not really a right way or a wrong way to do things. What's important is that you're actually doing the thing. Interesting. You know, I'm having a visual with, <laughs> with the massage table and the led glasses and, I'm assuming that the LED glasses you're talking about that you were wearing were not the like the ones people wear at raves that have the little on-off switch, were they? Oh no, no, no! It was <laughs> just... it was like massage, like ones related to massage. I'm guessing. No, it was. <laughs> I should that. Um, they were they they were basically sunglasses, but they had LED lights inside the lenses, so the light was flashing into my eye. Oh, okay. Okay. See, that makes a lot more sense because I'm just thinking of like those rave glasses that people would wear <laughs> with like the lines through them. And I, I was thinking, I was like, that can't be what he's talking about. There has to be some sort of special glasses he's referring to. <laughs> yeah. Note yourself. I will describe those much better in the future. <laughs> but but that, that's cool. I, I see what you mean about it being action driven. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and very experimental and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, the, really just trying different things to see what works. And then if you get something to work, then like, let's try it again. Let's get this to be verifiable. Okay. Okay. So would you say that chaos magic, is it related to a religion at all? Or is it strictly a type of witchcraft or magical practice? It sounds like it's more of a actual practice, not necessarily a religion. Yeah. I think um, most, I think a lot of chaos magicians will describe it as an approach to magic. And in terms of religion, Really, the only religion that I think um, has had an has had an influence on chaos magic is Discordianism, which is uh, the modern day worship of Eris, who is the Greek goddess of discord. And a lot of the early chaos magicians in the seventies and eighties were um, very influenced by Discordianism and were not taking themselves seriously, but in a very serious way, if that makes sense. And I did, I did develop that laughter can be used as a banishing ritual. And that, that kind of came out of Discordianism. In terms of just broader religion, though, religions and belief systems are really seen as tools. So if, you know, instead of subscribing to one particular religion, as a chaos practitioner, I might explore a lot of them. And I might kind of, we, this, this will make more sense later, I hope, I might kind of temporarily convert to a different religion if that belief system is going to help me with whatever magic I'm working on. Okay, um, okay. Like I, I explained it to somebody one time, if let's say I was like flipping through an old book of like Irish folk magic and I found a really cool spell I wanted to try, but the spell is talking about, it's, it's like very much couched in Christianity and it's, you know, invoking Jesus and the angels. And I could put a lot of effort into sort of rewriting it and reconciling it to my own belief system. Or I could just convert to Catholicism and really pour myself into that 
until the spell is complete, at which point I could revert back to my normal beliefs. I see. I see. That makes sense. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay, cool. So, you know, thinking about how, you know, you're trying different things just to see if you're getting a result. You know, one of the questions I was going to ask you is if people do chaos magic without realizing and... You know, my from what I'm hearing, it sounds like this might be the case occasionally, especially with people who are brand new and, and just starting out, that they are kind of creating spells out of thin air. Um, it it's kind of sounds like it might be a form of chaos magic, but is there any dis- like uh, specific distinction between, you know, somebody who's brand new pulling things out of thin air versus somebody who is actively practicing chaos magic? You know, I was thinking about that because there are some techniques that came out of chaos magic that sort of worked their way into uh, mainstream occultism. Um, So I think a lot of people are using chaos techniques without realizing it. Um, The big one is when we think about uh, making sigils. I love sigils. I know, I do too. (laughs) And there's there's kind of that standard way of doing it, which is you write out your intent and then you cross out the repeating letters and you combine the letters until you have, you created your design and that's your sigil, right? And that method was actually created by an occultist named Austin Osmond Spare. And his work, he was an artist and occultist and kind of insane, but in a very daring way, his work was, was a big influence on the early chaos magicians. So that method of making sigils was used extensively in chaos magic. And over time, it just became kind of a standard way of doing it but people weren't always aware of where it came. So that's one way that chaos magic has kind of influenced greater occultism. You know, I do think that uh, people who are, uh, who approach magic from a very experimental mindset are usually very comfortable when they discover chaos magic. Because, and like for me, it was, there was sort of this feeling of like, oh, I've already been kind of doing this. Um, you know, I've used, I've been using these approaches or I have this, this kind of mindset. So I, I do think that, uh, you know, I do think there is a comfort level there that people are, people come into it and think, you know, hey, I've kind of found, found my thing. I think what differentiates chaos magic from just general eclecticism is that there is sort of a framework for framework to chaos magic. And there are some sort of guiding principles around it that kind of make it what it is. So it's, it's not, you know, complete, I can do whatever I want and call it chaos magic, but within this pa- paradigm of chaos magic, I can do whatever I want and call it chaos magic, if that makes sense. Could you talk a little bit about some of those framing principles that chaos magic has? Sure. Um, so uh, the first, or the, one of the most important ones is a non-adherence to dogma. So, you know, when you when we think about organized religions, that, how there are, you know, these rules that come, come with organized religion. And uh, there are things that within an organized religion, people might believe and not question and they just accept as is and within chaos magic we try to question dogma or make sure that we're not slipping into it ourselves using a sigil magic as, as an example um there's an author named laura tempest zakroff who uh you know she has re- she wrote a really cool book on sigils called sigil Rich- witchery and on twitter she was talking about overhearing somebody saying you can't make sigils with symbols and she was like what do you think numbers and letters are and so, you know, there's, there's a dogma developing around sigils where there's one way to do it and that's it, you know, and what the cast magician would do is say, okay, that is one specific way to make sigils. Here's a whole bunch of other sigils. You can also make verbal sigils. You can also turn a ritual into a sigil. 
there are a whole lot of things that can make sigils. There's not one way to do it. And I'm going to find the one that works best for me. You know, when I first heard about sigils, I remember I was kind of whatever about them because I thought, you know, how is this symbol that I make based off a statement actually going to make any impact in my life? And then I was at this event uh, called Baltimore Witch Fest that I mentioned once in my first couple of episodes when I first started this podcast. And to this day, everybody thinks I live in Baltimore because I mentioned Baltimore. And <laughs> let me break some news. I don't live in Baltimore. I promise you I don't live there. I just oh, happened right. to right. I happened to be there for an event, but I do not live there. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I went to this event that they were having. And one of the workshops that they had was on sigils. And I, I didn't really like the other workshop offerings that they were having at that time. So I said, you know what? I don't really like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really mess with sigils, but let me go. Maybe I'll learn something. Well, turns out some guy was there who was in charge of some hexing Donald Trump, like witches against Donald Trump movement where, I don't know, I guess they cursed him like every day or something. And he was leading this workshop. <laughs> I forgot what his name is, unfortunately, but uh, he was talking about sigils and, you know, I'm sitting there like, uh-huh, 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 okay. And then he pulls up a logo and it, it was a big circle, like a big black circle with two small black circles on either side of it on the top. And he's like, well, what do you think of it? I'm like, well, obviously Mickey Mouse, like right. obviously, obviously Mickey Mouse. And he's like, well, that's a sigil. They want you to buy their products and think about them. And I mm -hmm. was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then he went on this whole, um, explanation about how i mean sigils in, in magical uses of course they're used with intent they're they're used to have a magical thing occur but sigils can also be another word essentially for a symbol for advertisements if you see a chonky looking dash it's gonna be nike you're gonna think just do it and you're probably gonna think of some sneakers and then you might be thinking man maybe i need some new sneakers maybe i need some new I don't know, exercise shorts, whatever. And I, I never made that connection that this symbol that I'm seeing in random parts of my day, every single day, were sigils. Logo. I mean, that's what a, a sigil is ultimately a symbol with intent behind it. Yeah. And their intent was for me to think of their product. And guess what? I'm thinking of their product when I see their, their symbol because I know it and it's ingrained in me. And I can't not see... I don't know. I can't not see the Mickey Mouse symbol without di thinking of Disney and thinking of Disney World and thinking about all these things I see online of people with these this like really good looking food from Disney World. I'm not even into Disney like that. I I'm more of a Universal Studios person personally. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's ingrained in me and it's ingrained in everybody. So that was I think one of the biggest mindfuck moments <laughs> that I had about sigils is that it's it's not just this woo magical, you know, stuff, it, it, it can affect it or it does affect every single person. And that, that to this day, I still think of that sometimes. I'm just like, damn, we're all affected by this and we don't even realize. And you know, that actually ties into another kind of guiding principle of chaos magic, which is deconditioning, um, which is it's, you know, there, there's not a start and finish to it, unfortunately, but deconditioning is the process of like, um, letting go of attitudes and beliefs and influences uh, so that you can make yourself more open to adopting new ones as the needs arise. And, uh, you know, susceptibility to advertising would certainly be, would fall into that, right? Because like from an early age, we're all, we're all conditioned to, <laughs> to, to uh, respond to advertising. And yeah. so, 
you know, being aware of the influence that, you know, Disney can have on you based on their sigil, you know, that, that could be a place to start of, okay, I'm going to start working to not have immediate or unconscious reactions to logos. You know, that's a place to start with the deconditioning. And that's so hard because, you know, I think back to even when I was a kid, uh, you know, the Nickelodeon logo used to be this big orange splat thing. Mm-hmm. And they ha- they must not have had that logo in probably a decade or two. But I still remember it, even though I know that they have a completely different logo. And if I, I don't know, ever happen to come across an orange puddle somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, immediately there will be, what what did they call it? The, the slime, was it the slime? Or slime the time, yeah, they had slime time live. Yeah, I'm going to immediately wow. think of that. Or sometimes, you know, even now, sometimes when I see a really big smiley face if like the mouth is a little odd like i think of the logo from that tv show all that i don't know if this is you know i'm sure there's people who are listening to us who have never seen that show before (laughs) (laughs) you know this is this is i I was a 90s baby so that's like the things i grew up watching but uh so i was was right behind you there you go (laughs) but but yeah anyway so you know i i guess that actually does then tie into people uh, maybe experiencing some sort of chaos magic without realizing, even though we might not, you know, look at a logo and say, you know, that, oh, that's not magic, but it, yeah. it's causing you to have a reaction to yourself. You're thinking of something. You, some people see the Chick-fil-A logo and get really pissed off. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know there's, there, it, it's affecting you. But that's, you know, what you're describing is a tool that we could use in magic is like in terms of charging a sigil, we could think about, okay, how do I react to logos? How do I react to advertising? You know, and think of that mindset. How do I feel when I realize I've just fallen for advertising and treat a sigil like advertising? You know what I mean? Like um, change your mindset a little bit about how you're doing it. It's not, I'm not creating this mystical symbol. It's I'm gonna create a logo and this logo represents the results that I wanna get. And so I'm gonna treat this as if I am in marketing and see how that approach works for you. Yeah, and that's sigils in a nutshell, honestly. Yeah. Um, now I guess, you know, I, I do know that I am a little bit more involved in chaos magic than I ever thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like when I was talking about deconditioning, part of that is, you know, cutting ourselves away from some of those influences around us so that the, the, mag- the only magic affecting us is the magic that we're creating and that we're trying to generate. Um, so we talked about deconditioning, we talked about no dogma, and then the third big D is diversity and approach, right? So we're, um, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, where chaos magicians are very much magpies, and they're going to try to find the things that work for them, and kind of regardless of the source. Um, and, uh, you know, like I've done rituals where I was invoking Greek gods with a circle made out of Norse runes, and um, like this sound, like as soon as this, it was about to come out of my mouth and I was like, this is going to sound horrifying and Ash is going to lose listeners over it. But so invoking Greek gods, circle of Norse runes, uh, circle calls from so long farewell from the sound of music. Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> because like my, like I did my ritual, it was over. And so it was so long farewell. Alvita said adieu, right? Like uh, that's how I, that's how I ended my circle. But it worked really well. It did, that wouldn't necessarily work for everyone. And there was certainly an irreverency there um, in terms of the work I was doing. But like, instead of trying to like 
write out a specific circle ending for this particular ritual script, I was like, I've already got some lyrics that really say what I need to need them to say. You know, I have definitely known of some people who've taken some of the spells or chants from shows like Charmed, for example, and used it in their daily practice or some of the things from the Practical Magic movie. You know, I, I don't think I've ever I've never personally done that. But I remember when I was younger, I used to watch this cartoon called Teen Titans, not this yes. awful reboot that they have now, but whatever they had in the early 2000s or so. And wow. Uh, the main character, Raven, has this mantra yes. that she says whenever she's using her powers. And Azrak Mestrium Zinthos. Exactly, yeah. So I used to try to meditate saying that. I had no idea what I was saying. <laughs> Come to find out, it was nothing magical at all. It was just something related to her and the show, of course. Yeah, a cartoon. I would say, <laughs> if you were of a certain generation, and normally I would never, ever tell somebody that they can or can't be a witch or that, or that their magical practice is or is not valid. That is not my place to say but if you are of a certain generation and you have not done the binding spell out of the craft, then you are not a witch. Oh, I, oh yeah. I, I've never, I've never done the binding spell, but I have definitely saved ribbon before from mm -hmm. random, you know, like getting things in the mail or whatever with the thought of, okay, well, if I ever need to do a binding spell, oh yeah, yeah. I have the ribbon. I have part of the supplies. That's the biggest thing I need next to the photograph of the person. So <laughs> I've, I've never done it, but it's always been in the back of my head as an option if I ever need to. I have a giant bag of like ribbon scraps and twine and yarn in my linen closet just for the same reason, just in case I really need to bind somebody up. I've got more than enough to do it. Yeah, and you know what? Before anybody knocks on us talking about doing spells or movies like this, with movies like The Craft, they had actually hired, um, I, I want to say the person, they hired like an actual Wiccan or maybe it was just a general pagan to help write yeah. the things on that movie. And a lot of things nowadays will do the same thing. Um, maybe not so much the Sabrina TV show because that was based off the comic books and that was based off the Christian interpretation of witchcraft. Obviously, you can see with the devil and, and whatever off topic but you know with things like the the spells on the craft you know that was based off of a, a actual real life practitioner helping to create things like that absolutely and the thing is you know and it's funny as we talk about cartoons and movies and tv shows because within cat within the cast magic paradigm we're not really wedded to any one belief system a lot of chaos will will draw inspiration from fiction or from fantasy and structure a practice around that. Um, so you'll have, you know, there are people who have done workings with H.P. Uh, Lovecraft mythos, or um, there's an author named Phil Hine, who um, in one of his books, he sort of embarrassingly admits that he did a whole ritual involving Narnia and C.S. Lewis and, and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, you know, and, there, and, and since we're being experimental with stuff, there's no reason not to try that and see how it works for us. Um, I, I got in a little kind of headbutting contest one time in a Facebook group. I think it might have actually been your Facebook group. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> where uh, I some, somebody was saying something kind of anti-Wiccan, and I responded and kind of in defense, and this other person jumped in and was like, well, you're Wiccan. I'm a chaos witch. I can believe in Superman if I want. And I was it sounds like, vaguely familiar. The <laughs> like the conversation ended before I can make my really good point, which would have been, okay, you can believe in Superman if you want. That's great. 
do you believe in Superman? Have you created a ritual structure around Superman? If Superman is going to be the central figure in this mythology that you're creating, what is your kryptonite? What does that represent? Are you Lois Lane? Is Lois Lane like a high priestess role that you take on within this mythos? Are you applying Superman to the Kabbalistic tree of life? Is he the dying and resurrecting sun god? Like, how is this working in your realm? How, how does this work for you? And how do you relate to Superman in terms of a venerator and a deity? Um, I didn't get the chance to ask any of that. Um, but the uh, kicker is that she was saying, I can believe in Superman if I want to. And it's like, yes, yes, you can. So do it. You know, don't, don't worry about, don't set it aside and say, you know, oh, I'm practicing chaos magic because I could do all these things if I felt like doing them. Do the thing. See what happens. You know, magic should be experimental. It should be fun. And there should be a reverency to it. You know, there's nothing wrong with breaking a few taboos if it's going to get you what you want in the magical end. Yeah, you know, things like that, I, it sounds like there's, a, you know, definitely some line between fantasy and um, reality in terms of practicing witchcraft. Uh, I, I would have been interesting to or interested to see what she would have had to say about believing in Superman. Um. <laughs> is there within chaos magic, sometimes those lines between fact and fiction are kind of blurred because if... Like if I'm reading a novel series and there's an amazing religion described in the novel and I'm thinking that might be workable, you know, why not try it out and see what happens? Yeah, I know there's a book series I really like called House of Night. My my Oracle deck is from that series and the uh, rituals that they do in that book, when I was reading them, I remember thinking, wow, these are actual rituals that somebody can do in real life. Like this is not completely foreign to me reading about you know they're calling the quarters they're casting a circle they're using incense i'm like this isn't completely different from what i do in my own personal practice is this the series with like the teenage vampires who get yes. sent to the yes. school in oklahoma uh-huh i've read all of them i uh, haven't finished reading it unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> i got to this one part in the book where this one character dies and I like couldn't handle it. I mean, I was able to handle it, but I was so like heartbroken about it and so upset. And I I just had to put the book down and then I never picked it back up, even though I to this day, it this was maybe three years ago. To this day, I'm like, what happened next? But it's been too long now. I have to reread the whole series all over again, which is fine because I really liked it. The author of that series is a high school English teacher. And it is a great honor in her classes to be mentioned in the books and then killed off. So every time one of one of the kids like bites it in the books, she's killed off one of her students in her life. <laughs> that's really funny. But that's, you know, but that's the thing. If there are rituals in those books that kind of spoke to you, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen from trying them? You know, okay, you summon the Greek goddess Nyx and there's hell to pay. But like... <laughs> Other than that, like, you know, it could be kind of smooth sailing and it might result in some techniques that you can apply to your witchcraft practice as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, I think the only thing I'd be cautious with is knowing that Nyx in the book is not necessarily Nyx the goddess or yeah, <laughs> I any... think she, she transcends being a goddess. I think I think she's a little bit uh, higher up than that. Um, but yeah, that would be one thing I'd be cautious about that, that the, 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 the two Nixes are a little different from each other. Yeah. And you would, so if you were, you know, like if we use that book series as an example and you created a ritual based on the material in there and you did invoke Nix, you would just want to make sure that you were invoking the Nix from the books, you know, using descriptions to, and also to get yourself into that mindset so that you feel like you're part of that group. 
Mm-hmm. You have the cool glowing tattoos. I remember it very well. Yep. <laughs> it's a very good book series. I can't wait to eventually reread and finish it because I, I really loved it. And my Oracle deck I use is from that series. So I, I didn't really realize it was an Oracle deck from that series. I may I may have to track that down. That, oh, that yeah. Christmas present. It's it's my go-to deck. It has followed me for years. Uh, I, I, I don't even need to use my tarot deck because it's so good. And the best part about it is it's not a fluffy deck. Yeah. It's also not a fluffy book. We're kind of, you know, for that that genre of teen, slightly dystopian fantasy, they they were kind of intense. And they, you know, I remember the, the main character had to deal with some some kind of very adult issues. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I just, for whatever reason, though, it did crack me up at the beginning when she's like, I'm a normal high school kid. And then somebody's like, no, you're a vampire in the middle of her school hallway. She's like, oh, yeah, that, was, that part was a little odd the way it starts out. But the whole rest of the book is really great. If anybody I know that we're completely off topic now, but if anybody's ever looking for another young adult book series, that's fantastic. That's very much an adult book. But for some reason, it's marketed for young children is Cirque du Freak. I would 10 out of 10 recommend that series. If you've seen the movie, do not judge that book series off the movie. The movie is literally nothing like the book. Like I have not seen it. I'm, I'm making a note. I'm going to track this down. Oh, those books, those books, like I cry every time I read them. Like they are absolutely fantastic. They're one of those vampire books. But anyway, we are <laughs> <laughs> totally off topic. But if anyone's interested, House of Nice series and uh, Cirque du Freak, definitely recommend Cirque du Freak. If anybody has read it, reach out to me because I love talking about that book. House of Night gets the Thumper Port seal of approval. I will know right <laughs> about it. You know, okay. So earlier you did talk about. Uh, you know, being a gardenarian and mm-hmm. also practicing chaos magic. So could you just confirm for the listeners that <laughs> you can very much work multiple types of magic and that you're not just tied by, down by one just because you're an initiate of a religion? Absolutely. Um, you know, Thank with, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with, within within uh, the gardenarian tradition, you know, we're, we're very orthopraxic, right? We have a, a way of doing things. And we tend to believe the same things because we have similar experiences going through stuff. Um, and what I what I've found, like in working with kind of a chaos magic current, is that I'm picking up techniques that I can use within witchcraft, and I can use with a group of gardenarians or a group of British traditional initiates. Um, but I can also you know, I'm also, like I mentioned, an initiate of the Manoan Brotherhood, which is sort of an offshoot of Wicca. It's not, it's not like quite Wicca, but it's, it's, it, it's kind of, you know, kissing cousins. And when it's time for me to go do stuff with the Minoans, I just kind of have to set Gardnerian aside and then go do my Minoan stuff. And having done that for, you know, 15 years of having to move between those two kind of different realities, um, it does make it easier for me from a chaos perspective of, oh, hey, I really, you know, need to get these techniques out of, um, first thing that comes to mind is Hinduism, you know? So if I really need to, for my own work, just throw myself into Hinduism for a while, I can do that very devoutly and I can do it very respectfully. And when it's time for me to set it aside, I can go back to gardening. You know, and I think being an initiate of multiple traditions really, um, turned out to be a, a big benefit for me as I approach chaos magic. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate you um, confirming that and talking about your experiences with that because sometimes I'll see people, such as on the Gardneri Initiates uh, and Seekers page on Facebook, uh, which is a page people can use to uh, locate a coven. But I'll see people talking on there about how, uh, or even in beginner witch groups as well, about how, you know, they want to join a tradition, but they don't kind of want, they don't want to give up their own practice or, or what have you. And, and, you know, I, it's kind of unfortunate that a lot of people think that you can only do one or the other when that's absolutely not the case. Oh, absolutely not. You I mean, can, yeah, you can absolutely be an initiate of one tradition and have your own eclectic practice. In fact, it is thoroughly encouraged <laughs> that, you, that you have your own practice outside of whatever you may be involved in, even if it's not a necessarily a tradition, even if it's just an eclectic coven or an eclectic tradition or you know, getting together with your friends on the weekend and casting a circle like a couple times of the year. Yeah. You know, you should have your own personal practice that's separate outside of whatever you're doing. And if, you know, it's very similar to whatever tradition you're in, so be it. That's your personal practice. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> but I just want to confirm, you can yeah. do multiple things. I promise you, it's okay. <laughs> the one, like, I guess, obstacle that can come up with that is, you know, when it's time to do what is like for me when it's time to be Gardnerian and do the Gardnerian stuff, I can't go into that circle going, okay, but in Minoan, we do it a little differently. You know, I need to be able to set that aside to focus on this new thing or this one thing. Um, you know, my coven years ago had a seeker and he was a great guy and he was very sincere and he was very earnest, but he came out of a local eclectic tradition um, and he couldn't let go of it. And we kept telling him, you know, you can do that all you want on the side, but when you're working with us, we need you focused on this. And we couldn't get him, you know, to experience that paradigm shift. We couldn't get him to set the one thing aside for a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon. You know what I mean? He had to, it was, it was very frustrating. Um, I do think it's good to, if you were interested in, whether it's Gardnerian or Alexandrian or Sabbatic craft or whatever it is, you know, I think trying to pursue multiple traditions at once is probably going to be a little challenging and detrimental, but you know, once you're, once you you've gotten fully immersed in one, definitely explore other things, see what else is out there. Yeah, I can agree. I've mentioned on uh, another episode before that if you're training with a group, there's a, a chance they might ask you to not train in another tradition at the same time, just so you don't get your wires crossed per se. Yeah. But you know, you, if you are looking to join a specific tradition or any specific type of branch of magic or whatever you want to call it, when you're in that setting, you need to wear that hat. But yeah. when you're by yourself, you don't have to wear a hat. Oh yeah. When you're by yourself, <laughs> do the, the Greek goddess and the Norse runes and the musical. Like, yeah. Lion, the witch in the wardrobe, do whatever you'd like. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And that's, you know, and when we were talking about just how, you know, witchcraft and chaos magic do kind of intersect. I think that eclecticism um, is really one of those intersectional points and the uh, the ability and the uh, that drive to do experimental things and see what works. So Thurber, can you talk about what the appeal of chaos magic might be for new practitioners? You know, I think um, what draws a lot of people in, honestly, is the name because, you know, it, chaos magic sounds sort of dark and edgy and forbidden and taboo. Um, and so I think, I'll, I think, you know, especially if you look at like the cover art of the books uh, on Chaos Magic, it, it does have this sort of edginess to it. 
Um, but I think once people start learning about it, I really do think it's that diversity of approach that becomes the main draw. Um, it, I, I think a lot of people really appreciate, and I know I do, um, having that freedom to explore different things and to try out different techniques and you know to see what works for me personally and to make connections between different paths and find you know find those crossroads um and and just see where it takes me um i do think um when we talk about diverse approaches one thing we need to be really kind of aware of and try to avoid is the concept of taking um you know we see this you're online about as much as i am so you probably see this a lot where somebody will say oh, I'm an eclectic witch, I take from everything. Or a chaos magician might say, you know, I practice chaos magic, I take everything that works for me. And when we say take, the implication there is sort of, it's mine now and you can't have it back. Um, and because people have really been growing in awareness of, you know, issues of cultural appropriation and misappropriation, I think um, being a, you know, we can explore we can experiment, we can adopt things, we can incorporate ideas, um, but we need to be aware that they are not now ours and they don't belong to us now. Um, and hopefully that, that makes kind of sense with you know being diverse and being eclectic, but at the same time, not trying to cross too many lines and not doing something that is gonna be disrespectful to whatever culture or path you're exploring. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad that you address cultural appropriation because I, I know a lot of times when I do see people talk about chaos magic, that topic does come up. So I definitely appreciate you mentioning it, that uh, the implication of when people are saying it um, is not necessarily what people are assuming, but also that chaos mag magicians um, are hopefully <laughs> being respectful <laughs> of different cultures and uh, not being culturally appropriating. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think for the most part, we're not, but I do think, you know, and this kind of ties back into that idea of deconditioning, where we we are very much part of a taker culture. You know, that's kind of the society that we grow up in of, you know, we see something and we take it. And um, letting go of, even just letting go of that word and trying to get that word out of our vocabularies or use less will help with deconditioning. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see there being some controversy with that for sure. <laughs> Uh, so are there any stereotypes uh, aside from that that you could address or maybe anything you've seen about chaos magic, maybe in public spaces or the media? I think, you know, um, <laughs> it's funny that you would say the media, especially as we were talking about, like, using fiction in magic, because with um, WandaVision um, being so popular, uh, they talk about the Scarlet Witch using chaos magic. So there's probably a whole lot of like, where like you and I were watching the craft. I think there's a whole lot of kids right now probably searching for chaos magic because they heard it on WandaVision. Um, the, um, so that's, that's, it doesn't get a lot of media representation other than that. You know, but Scarlet Witch, if we have to have a spokesperson, I'm cool with that. Um, I think that the main stereotype within occult circles is that chaos magicians don't take anything seriously. And um, there are a lot of memes where it's like, you know, regular magician, I have cast the magic circle, I've lit the quarter candles, and I have created the incense just so. Chaos magician, I'm dropping some bodily fluids on a sigil and going to play video games. And <laughs> it's, you know, and it's sort of this idea that chaos magic is, um, 
just sort of silly and uh, like there's a laziness element to it that I'm just not really going to put much effort into this and I'm not taking anything seriously. Um, like I said earlier, I think chaos magicians often, and I know I don't, you know, I don't think we take ourselves very seriously all the time. Um, but, you know, chaos practitioners almost inevitably take their practice very seriously. And, you know, like going back to that example of, of using the sound of music in a ritual, it worked really well for me, but part of why it worked was because I took it very seriously when I was doing it. I can kind of laugh about it now, but at the time it was just part of the ritual script and part of what I was working with. So I may do or say very irreverent things. And, um, I like, I myself can be very, like, I, I say really inappropriate things at really inopportune moments. Um, I sort of, I probably fit the chaos magic stereotype very well. But at the same time, I do take my practice very seriously and I take the work that I'm doing very seriously. I can imagine there being some disagreements between those who practice chaos magic and those who practice ceremonial magic. Yeah, you know, I think the goals can sometimes be the same because, you know, when we when we think about ceremonial magic, there's that ultimate goal of the great work of, you know, the integration of the soul with the divine. And I think chaos magic can very much be used in a similar way. And... Um, there are there's material out there about how to do that and, and what kind of magic you would use to accomplish that kind of goal. But yeah, in terms of approach, I think from a ceremonial perspective, chaos magic can be seen as very um, messy and quirky and um, probably kind of like cluttered and sloppy in a way. Whereas from the chaos perspective, ceremonial magic could be kind of very, you know, stodgy and elitist and why are you going to put so much effort into trying to make this one little thing happen when I can just go drop bodily fluids on a sigil and make it happen too? <laughs> uh, well, you know, so we're talking a little bit about some types of chaos magic. So could you talk a little bit about if somebody is interested, how can they get started in this? So the, you know, the, the best way I think to start working with chaos magic, and I, we've, I've brought the topic back to this a couple of times, but I think it's worth repeating is start working with the idea of deconditioning. Um, the, the best ritual I've ever found for it actually is not in a chaos magic book, but it has a very chaos magic vibe to it. Um, if you've ever read Mastering Witchcraft by Paul Houston, um, he has a ritual that he calls unbinding and that he recommends that, you know, that anyone wanting to be a witch should do this ritual. And it's basically lighting candles, lighting some incense, and reciting the Lord's Prayer backwards on three consecutive nights. And it's not done with the intent of being profane or being disrespectful. It's that idea of like, you know, like if, if we are casting a circle, we're going clockwise. And if we're uncasting the circle, we go counterclockwise. Reading the Lord's Prayer backwards is like, is like practicing Christianity counterclockwise. It's making this statement that you are releasing yourself from this Abrahamic culture that we're all kind of stuck in. And it, like, it's something that I have done. Um, and it starts off feeling, for me, it felt very like, okay, I'm not Christian, I'm a devout pagan, but this feels wrong and like I'm going to hell. And by that time I was done with it, I felt incredibly liberated and that I had like broken some of the ties between me and the very Christian society that I was raised in and the very Christian upbringing that I had. 
so I think even if you don't want to use that particular ritual, um, there's another book called uh, Revolutionary Witchcraft that has a similar, uh, it doesn't use uh, anything Christian within it, but it uses a ritual of making um, paper or construction paper chains and tearing them off yourself. Um, so we can do some ritual work to start releasing some of that from ourselves so that we can move forward and explore different things and have that diverse approach and not be affected by dogma and practice chaos magic more effectively. Um, so that's, you know, I wish I could say, here's a spell. And if you do the spell, you are immediately a cast magician. I don't have that, unfortunately. Um, but I think exploring deconditioning or unbinding is an excellent place to start. Great. And, you know, in terms of just overall chaos magic, you know, you talked about some unbinding um, resources or books that people could use or references or resources. Do you have any books specifically on chaos magic that you could recommend? I do. Um, I think one of the one of the kind of original books of chaos magic is called Lieber Null and Psychonaut. It's two titles, one book. So Lieber Null and Psychonaut by Peter J. Carroll, um, who was one of really the pioneering chaos magicians. Um, it's a pretty heavy book. Like it's it's uh, it gets really kind of down the rabbit hole in magical theory, um, but there's a lot of really cool stuff within it. Um, also, uh, Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine. Um, Phil Hine uh, was, he came onto the scene, I think about 10, 15 years after Peter Carroll and some of the other cast magicians were first publishing. And um, he has a very uh, witty, accessible way of writing. Um, and he, one of his big goals is that magic should be fun. So he writes in a way that makes it really fun. Um, but he really gets into like the principles of cast magic and um, explains it in a way that makes it really understandable. Um, so those are two that I think are kind of must-haves. Personally, I think that anyone interested in cast magic should read the Principia Discordia, um, which is the sacred text of Discordianism. It's actually available online. You can go to principiadiscordia.com and read the whole thing. Um, it's like copyright free. It's Discordian say copy left. Um, so it's, it's completely free to read online. Um, mainly because there's a really kind of profound worldview presented within it, um, even though it's very much a parody religion, but also because it was an influence on the cast magicians, it, um, there's some good workable material and it's good to kind of, you know, to get into that chaos mindset and that chaos current, it's a good source. Um, there are not a lot of resources right now about the intersection of specifically of chaos magic and witchcraft, but there are two really good books on the subject. One is called Chaos Craft by Julian Bain and Steve D. Um, and that book takes various chaos techniques and theories and applies them to the Wiccan Wheel of the Year. So you read through the book and as you work through the book, you're kind of on every Sabbath, you're exploring a different area of chaos magic. Um, so it's, it's a really cool idea. And uh, it's kind of one of those, like, I really wish I had thought of that. I would be rolling in my millions right now if I had. Um, and there's also a book that just came out in April called Rebel Witch by Kelly Ann Maddox. Um, the book itself does not talk about chaos magic, but Kelly Ann um, has been a longstanding chaos practitioner. She's got an amazing YouTube series um, where she talks a lot about, about chaos practice. And the principles of cast magic and cast magic techniques are really interwoven well into the book. Um, and the book itself is really about like how to start your own unique witchcraft practice. And the, 
that kind of eclecticism behind it and the uh, the different approaches she recommends really have a cool chaos vibe to it. So um, especially if you want to kind of see what you can do with chaos magic and witchcraft, I think that one's a, like a really perennial resource. Awesome. Thank you so much for all the resources. Um, I get and- really excited about books. I hope that came across. <laughs> well, you know, it's better to have more recommendations than just to have one or two because sometimes not everybody vibes with everybody's author writing style. Absolutely. I feel like people who read, like Peter J. Carroll and Phil Hine, they're two of kind of the essential reads, but they are vastly different in tone. So if you click with one, there's a really good chance you won't click with the other. Phil Hine, I love. I, I read Carroll and I respect Carroll, but Phil Hine's work is really what inspires me. Awesome. As I mentioned, I have no experience with chaos magic. Well, I, you know, I learned a little bit more today than I thought I did. I had a little <laughs> bit more experience actually than I assumed. But but in terms of, of researching it per, per se, I should say, I, I don't have a lot. So I definitely recommend the recommendations and I'm sure that the listeners do as well. Um, but uh, just one last question for you. Um, if you can give one piece of advice for new practitioners about anything, it doesn't have to be chaos magic related. It could be absolutely anything in the realm of magic or witchcraft or you know, religion or what have you, what would you say? I would say, don't be afraid to be wrong. Um, you know, as, as we explore different things and as we try different techniques, things aren't always going to work for us. Um, things aren't always going to work out the way we expected them to. Um, not every path is right for every person. Every, you know, we can sometimes have some really deeply held beliefs that as we start working to unbind ourselves from those, realize that you know we've been perceiving some things in our world very incorrectly and all of that is okay like there is you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with being wrong and you know we see like you know we see like flame wars on the internet and people who you know um they all choose their hills to die on and they are not gonna let it go nobody has ever won an argument on the internet right like it's okay for to say, hey, that person is making a really good point, and I really want to learn from that. Um, not every spell is going to work the way we want it to. Um, there are things that we may have thought sounded like amazing techniques that are going to absolutely fall apart. There are going to be other things that we would think, I will never try that, like me with chaos magic, and then find that we absolutely love what we're doing. Um, so it's okay to be wrong. Just be wrong sometimes. Like revel in being wrong sometimes and you know, see if you can't find a little extra power in that. Yeah, it's definitely some sound advice. And I wanna add to that of give yourself more credit than do you think. <laughs> uh, you know, I could give an example just last week when I was meeting up with my um, book club members for my Patreon where we're reading Wicked for Beginners by Thea Sabin. Uh, one of the people on there, and if you're listening, hey, I'm totally telling your story. <laughs> um, one of the people on there, uh, she was talking about how, you know, she tried to do a path working and she fell asleep during it. So she was a little sad that, you know, it didn't work out and she wasn't able to stay awake for it. And she had talked about how uh, it was her first time really casting a circle. And, you know, prior to that, we had talked about how uncomfortable it could be. And sometimes people are worried about doing something wrong or whatever, um, or feeling silly or, you know, all those newcomer type um, worries that people have as they first start out in their practice. And when she told me that she fell asleep in it, I was like, oh, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) And and I I think she was a little confused. And I continued to say that, you know, the, the fact that you started off your circle, you were nervous to do it. But then once you cast your circle and you did this path working, the fact that you were able to be in that space 
and be so relaxed and so comfortable that you fell asleep and felt safe enough to fall asleep, that's great. It's <laughs> a great first step. Like there's nothing wrong with that at all. That means that you were able to achieve that, that level that not everybody, you know, gets their first circle or first couple of circles. Sometimes it takes a while to actually feel relaxed enough to even have something like that happen. So, well, you know, I will, I will say this, that I have been an initiate for about 16 years and, you know, third degree high priest, all the bells and whistles. And I have fallen asleep in circle during outdoor feast too. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> it <laughs> so I, I would say give yourself more credit. If you're falling asleep in circle, you know, obviously you don't want that to happen. You're trying to be an active participant. But if you're comfortable enough to get there, I think that's speaking for itself. So absolutely. give yourself more credit where credit's due. Oh, no, absolutely. I do have one more little piece of advice. As we're talking about, you know, experimenting with, with different kinds of magic and, and, you know, when we talked about how chaos magic is results driven, as you explore it, or as we explore it, the emphasis should really be on the means and not the ends. And what I mean by that is we can let our desires for a magical working, you know, kind of overwhelm us sometimes. Like, I really, really, really want or like, I need this spell to happen. Like, if I'm doing a money spell, oh, I need the money, I need the money, I need the money. And we can get so caught up in that that we don't put enough effort into the or enough energy into whatever we're doing to make this spell happen. So as we're moving forward with cast magic, like put your energy into the beans, put your energy into what you're doing. And then once it's done, do your best to set it aside and walk away and you'll get the results when you get them, but focus on how you did it and then let it happen on its own. If that makes sense. And I know I say that makes sense a lot. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you know, in fact, it does make sense. Okay, good. Uh, there's a term for it actually, lust, lust of result. There you uh, go. We get so caught up in the lust for what we want that we just, we end up not doing enough to get, or not, or I shouldn't say not doing enough, but we don't, um, you know, we start worrying, did I do enough? Or did I do that spell correctly? Or did I cast my circle tight enough? Or did I draw that sigil exactly the way I should have drawn it? And all that worrying starts eating away at the, all this work that we've tried to do. So once you do the magical work, whatever it is, it's done and have the confidence that it's done and that you're going to get the results that you, that you've worked for. And then, you know, be thrilled when you get those results. Yeah. Pretty sound advice. Okay, cool. I'm glad I said that in a way that makes sense. <laughs> Got yeah. Well, Thumper, thank you so much for coming on and talking about chaos magic. It's definitely been a pretty lively discussion. And I, I you know, I've learned a lot myself. Uh, if anybody wanted to find you on the internet, how could they get in contact with you? The internet. Um, well, you can, uh, I've got a website, misfitmarjorie.com. Marjorie is my middle name. There's a whole backstory. It's on the website. Um, so misfitmarjorie.com. Um, it's sadly in need of an overhaul, but I will get, I'll get there when I get there. Um, I also, I blog for Pathios Pagan. So if you go to pathios.com slash blog slash fivefold law, um, you'll, uh, get, you'll see my blog update that gets updated a couple of times a week. And then I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at fivefold law. Great. And, uh, you know, if anybody's listening, if you want to connect with me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at seek witchcraft. I'm on Instagram as seeking witchcraft. Facebook, I have a like page called Seeking Witchcraft Podcast where I post a bunch of some, I would say some fire memes, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I was going to say. Say, well, say some I, myself. 
if you if you are looking for witchcraft oriented memes, seeking witchcraft on Facebook is is your quality source. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I know how to speak the language of millennials. As it turns out, I, I am also a millennial. So, you know, speaking in memes. But uh, I also have a Facebook group. Thumper mentioned it at one point, called, which is Seeking Witchcraft. You can find that if you want to join. Please make sure you answer all the questions. Otherwise, you're not getting put into the group. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in supporting the show at all and gaining um, access to bonus content, as well as, you know, joining the book club that I just talked about or the Patreon only Discord server that we have, uh, I am on. Patreon as uh, Seeking Witchcraft. So just patreon.com slash Seeking Witchcraft. Uh, and yeah, well. If, if uh, you join the Facebook group and mention this episode, I will fanboy all over you. I will be so nice. <laughs> yeah, so, definitely feel free to leave your, your feedback in the Facebook group. We'd love to hear it. Well, this was a joy. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I'll catch you all next time. Bye. <laughs>